Well, good morning. Uh, as was introduced, my name is Cole. Uh, I am the campus minister for the Baptist Collegiate Ministry at Belmont University. Um, thank you just for being so welcoming and, and just inviting my family as well. It's just neat to be a part of you guys' uh, church family here. I recognize that uh, probably not everyone in here uh, knows what BCN or what Baptist Collegiate Ministry is. And what I tell people is that uh, we are basically the uh, campus ministry for the Southern Baptist Convention. And we are on over 800 university campuses. So we are a large campus ministry. And basically our goal is to help churches to reach the campus with the gospel and to build Christian leaders who then serve the church after college. And so that's kind of our national goal. But we also have individual missions on each campus. And at Belmont, we have developed really just three pursuits in order to accomplish the gospel mission on this campus. First, it is to belong. We want to create a belonging where high school students that are coming in as freshmen and seniors who are about to graduate can belong to a specific uh, group on campus and follow Jesus together. But we also uh, work really hard to connect students to a place of belonging in the local church outside of the campus. Secondly, we become. We become together uh, like Jesus, right? But we also try to get students in a position and in an environment where they can become better at what they believe that God has called them to do with their lives. So whether that's business or marketing or music industry, whatever it is, we try to help step in and bridge the gap between faith and career there. And then lastly, we work to bless the campus. And we want to be a blessing, just like uh, God set out Israel's purpose to be a blessing to those nations around them. We want to be a blessing to the people around us on the campus. We want to be a positive, encouraging uh, attribution to the campus. And uh, one, way, one, one of the ways that we do this is through something that we call coffee cart. And basically, we station up on a little cart some coffee and Pop-Tarts, and we give these out for free for students. And what's amazing is that we end up having really, really good spiritual conversations with people, praying for people, encouraging them. It's on a Monday, so they need some encouragement. And so we try to do that every Monday. And so these are just the ways that we have said, as a BCM on Belmont's campus, here's how we want to be a, a really good influence for the kingdom on Belmont's campus. And so you may be thinking that I'm 18 years old or I look like that because most people that I meet ask me what my major is, uh, which is totally fine. Um, you might be thinking, how did I get here, right? Well, um, just a backstory, my first two college year, my first two years in college, uh, I came in as a Christian, but just lost my way with friends that were not following Jesus. That was not their goal. And then the last two years were very different of following Jesus. And so I had a campus minister literally come into our fraternity house and, and point me out. And he goes, I know and I can see that you want to follow Jesus, but you're not doing it. And he put a fork in the road and he said, Cole, do you want to follow Jesus or not? And I was like, wow, yes. And so he began then to train me how to be a missionary in my context. Because a lot of times as Christians, we would say, well, we just need to run from the people who we've been sinning with and, and run to the church, run to the, the camp, uh, campus ministry, and, and just totally neglect all the people that we've been around. But he said, yeah, you need to go find a community that you can be around, but you need to go back into this place where you have influence with the gospel. And so he trained me how to be a missionary there. And so this really made things messy for me. I graduated, and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life now. And so for three years, I really just battled, what am I doing? 
And then finally, I realized that God was calling me into ministry, and so I submitted to that, and I just jumped into an internship down at, at Forest Hills Baptist Church in Nashville, and the pastor there looked at me, and he said, I, we affirm as a church that you are called to ministry, and I want to help you figure out your, God's calling on your life. So this pastor drove me to several different BCMs across the Tennessee, and we talked to different campus ministers, and by the end of that trip, I had a job. I was not seeking a job. I was seeking wisdom for my life. And I, was, I began to, as a campus missionary, which is basically a resident for the, the Baptist Collegiate Ministry, I enrolled in seminary, and now today I stand before you as a campus minister. And I say all of this because it's really full circle, and this is a true story and a testimony uh, to the goodness of the cooperative nature of Tennessee Baptist churches. That I was in a Tennessee Baptist church. They, they literally drove me to try to figure out what my calling was. And now in my job, I get to serve Tennessee Baptist churches. And so it's a true honor to be able to do that. BCM really only exists for the purpose of the local church. And it wouldn't exist outside of that. And so my job really exists because of Tennessee Baptist churches who give to what we call the cooperative program and Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions. And both of these actually fund my salary, and they fund the mission, the, 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 the ministry that we get to do through uh, at Belmont. And so I am essentially a missionary on campus. I, I get plopped there. I, I live there. I figure out what the culture is. I figure out where the, what the demographics are, who are the people there. What is it like? How do students think about professors? All of these kinds of things. I am in the middle trying to help students navigate their lives, but also help local churches know, hey, this is what the campus is like because I'm on this campus every day. I'm getting to know faculty and students and, and trying to help churches disciple and do ministry better at this campus. And so today I've been invited to talk to you about missions and what you might be thinking when you think about missions, it might be the activity of a mission. So, for instance, a trip overseas to help people build things, a house, a local family camp, VBS, evangelism trip, educational trip, a medical trip. And all these are obviously wonderful things, and we need those things. But I want to go a little bit different route, a little bit beneath that, because what we oftentimes don't think about is the mindset behind mission the awareness that Jesus gives us through the power of his Holy Spirit to be aware spiritually of what is going on in the people around us and in the world. And so I want to talk about a lifestyle of spiritual awareness. And that is my goal this morning, that you would walk away more aware of what God is doing in the lives of those around you. And so we're actually going to be in Psalm chapter 23 this morning. Psalm chapter 23. And while you flip there, um, I kind of want to take you back into uh, this context where I was living in this fraternity in college. And, you know, the, this campus minister came beside me and, and taught me how to be a missionary in this context. But I remember looking up at one point and going, what am I doing? Everybody's happy here. Everybody loves their family. They love their friends. They have jobs. They make good money on, in their jobs. You know, they, they look set. They make good grades. I mean, what can I bring them? These guys are already happy. I'd essentially come to believe that the shepherdless soul wasn't any different 
than a shepherd of souls. And I think you and I can believe this. As parents, we can believe that other kids' parents are fine because they have a good job and stability and a good house and a good neighborhood and they're safe and they're doing well. As middle school, high school, right, we can believe that as we see our friends with students and we think they have a good life. They do really well. They have a lot of friends. They're popular or they're, they're happy in their life. I think people that we routinely see walking down our streets in our neighborhood, the people that we encounter on a daily basis, whether that's at a coffee shop or anywhere at work, I don't think that we could be more wrong. So today we are going to read about a lost and lonely soul, a person who meets a good shepherd and a faithful friend. So let me pray and then we'll jump into Psalm 23. God, thank you so much that you have given us your word to direct our thoughts and our hearts and our intentions to what you know as good to yourself. So Lord, would you speak to us this morning and Lord, motivate us where we're not and God, empower us and help us to see your compassion for those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So what we see here in Psalm 23, in verses 1 through 4, we, have, we really have two different images here. 1 through 4 being this relationship between a shepherd and, a sh- and sheep, and then in verses 5 through 6, we have this uh, uh, a host and a guest relationship, or a, a, a friendless person and then a friend who comes to be with them. This first picture is a sheep and shepherd, and so uh, obviously at Belmont, uh, the most popular major is not shepherding. Um, Surely there are some of those around here in the U.S. and around the world still, but it's definitely not the most prominent major. And so some of us may uh, not really understand sheep and shepherd. I know over the years I've had to do a lot of research on that. Um, but there are some assumptions that we can have about sheep. We often assume sheep to be just, they're just so stupid, right? They'll just follow each other into the slaughter, and that's a biblical thing, right? But they're not actually stupid. It's really just that they have this herd mentality so that if one, one walks off the cliff, they're all just going to walk off the cliff. And so they'll wander and they'll get tangled up in thorns and bushes. And worst case scenario, they'll encounter a predator. And I don't know if the last time you've looked at a sheep, but they're not very scary. They do not have sharp teeth, sharp claws. They, don't, they have nothing that can protect them there's just nothing about them that is scary at all to any, any other predator. And so because of this, sheep depend entirely upon the shepherd for protection, for guidance, and for provision. And so I think David here, being a shepherd himself, 
is the most fit person to write about this shepherd and sheep relationship. And I, I love this psalm because it's one of the most popular psalms because it's such a great encouragement to us during difficult times. You've probably read it multiple times. You've probably heard it preached. You've probably heard it at a funeral. You may have even memorized it. It's truly beautiful. And I want to preserve this, this encouraging tone of the psalm, but I want to go about it a little bit differently. Psalm 23 is encouraging for those of us who belong to the, to the shepherd. But for the many people, the friends, family, parents, buddies and classmates, fellow students, grandparents, the truths of this psalm do not apply because they do not belong to the good shepherd. And so we can almost assume the opposite reality of Psalm 23 for them, that they have no, she- they have no shepherd and they have no faithful friend. And it's really here that I want to start with the people in our lives who do not experience the comforting truths that God speaks to us through Psalm 23. And so my question for you this morning is, are you aware of the spiritual reality of those around you? And what is your heart's posture towards them? And so take with me a deep and cold and dark dive into the shepherdless and lonely soul. In verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We discover here that God is not just a communal shepherd to this community of Israel, but that David is actually mentioning God as this personal shepherd. And I think we can have the same new covenant uh, application here for us, which we'll get into a little bit later, that God is our personal shepherd. And so in essence, David is telling us that those who belong to the shepherd will have everything that they need. But what about for the person that does not? They will always want. You may be familiar with the story of the prodigal son. And I'll summarize this here, that there was a man that had two sons. One of the sons come to him and say, hey, I would like for you to give me my share of the inheritance. And so he divided his property between the two sons, and the younger took all that he had and traveled to a far country, and then he just squandered away in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and then he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the, to, to one of the citizens of that country who sent him out to, to this field to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? People without a shepherd will not find what they truly need. And what they do find in their pig trough will only make them hungrier. And this is just one dark reality of a shepherdless person. In verse 2 we read, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Your translation may say, He lets me lie down. Um, it really is just saying that those who belong to the shepherd will experience calm and we experience peace in their lives. But those who do not will be restless. And I don't know about you, but when I look around our world, I can definitely tell that our world is restless. Weary, weighed down, 
constantly worried, concerned about everything that's happening in life. And some people start to realize that the world doesn't have the answers. On Belmont's campus, really on any campus, we're experiencing the brunt force of this mental health crisis where we have universities that are giving students advice to seek truth and really to fix their problems or their loneliness within themselves, that they would find the truth within themselves. And I don't think that it's working. Because the shepherdless soul finds no peace. In verse 3, we read that he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so this image of one of a, of a lost sheep being restored to its shepherd, the sheep is having, has wandered off, having no sense of direction, no sense of purpose, no protection. In essence, that those who belong to the shepherd will be renewed in direction and purpose, but those who do not will wander defenseless, not knowing where they are going. And then finally, and probably the more popular verse in verse 4, which is so comforting, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Essentially, those who belong to the Good Shepherd, even in the greatest trial, will experience comfort from God's presence. But those who do not belong to the shepherd will find themselves alone in despair. Now, who knew that I could make Psalm 23 so dark? But in it are some sobering realities that I think that we need to be aware of. That the shepherdless soul is indeed dark and lonely. And here's the thing, is that the shepherd makes the difference. Particularly the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus is called a good shepherd because there were bad shepherds. And so we see this in Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 through 4. I'll read this real quick. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds. Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. And so God makes a promise and says, no, 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 I will come and be the shepherd. And so we see later in verse 11, he says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep. I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And then in verse 15, he says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them justice. 
Jesus essentially declares himself to be God, the shepherd who cares for people. And we see this happen in John chapter 10. He says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand, not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's hired and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and they know me. Amidst the darkness where one has wandered day and night, amidst the endless pains of once, the chaos of the mind and heart, the hopelessness of a lost soul, amidst the deepest sorrow and anguish that a person can experience emerges the good shepherd. The shepherd who becomes like a sheep. A lamb that does not wander and find himself stuck in a bush, but one who comes with a purpose. A lamb that walks towards its predator, sin and death. A lamb that comes defenseless, knowing his end. Coming defenseless that many may be defended through his death and resurrection, that he comes as the mighty Lamb of God to be slaughtered for all so that he might shepherd all. Do we think about the people around us missing this truth? Are they hurting? Are they searching? Do they belong to the good shepherd? Because his heart is to lead them with purpose and truth, and peace. And so will we not tell them of our good shepherd? As we look into verse 5, verse 4 ends this shepherd and sheep metaphor here and then transitions into something different yet related. It begins this image as God of God as gracious host or faithful friend. I think it's interesting to me. Uh, let's read verse 5 first. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. It's interesting to me that David would insert this image of him eating a feast right before his enemies. Is he mocking them? And who exactly are David's enemies? And I can't help but think about several psalms where David talks about people who have abandoned him, people who have cursed him. He says in Psalm 22, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. And then again in Psalm 55, this is when Absalom, David's own son, is hunting him. Absalom, somebody that David does not wish to be his enemy, he says this about him, for it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolent with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. David's crying out, I have been deserted by everybody that I know. I have no one. Where do I go? Where do I belong? Verse 5 describes the scene where God is setting up this feast for David. It's not like a southern hospitality thing where we walk in and there's mashed potatoes and, you know, we're just all kind of talking with each other. It is this, this other Middle Eastern hospitality where 
uh, there was a family from Albania that would describe it to us as uh, they were missionaries in Albania, and they would describe this as uh, when, you, when, when they would invite someone, when they would be invited into someone's house, they would meet them at the boundary line of their property, and they would walk them into the house, and inside would be the feast, right? But in the corner, there would be someone that stands with a jug of water, and so when they sat down to eat and drink, every time they would take a sip, that person would go over and refill Take a sip, refill. There was never a point in which their glass was not full. And this oil that we, we see here in verse 5, I can't say that necessarily if we were to walk in someone's house and they poured oil on us that we would be happy about that. But here in this context, we're talking about uh, houses and homes that do not have air conditioning. And so we had is this context in which people would walk hours and days to someone's house and when they walked in, oil was a, a, a refreshing thing on them. And so this host would treat you as royalty, and they would literally die for you. And so unlike all those around him, the Lord has not abandoned David. In fact, God invites him as a special guest to this luxurious feast, and all of his enemies get to watch. David belongs as an honorary guest at the table of the Lord. In our lives, we engage people who have been deserted by those that they love, their friends, their family, have left them in the dust. If you're a student, uh, I know that I remember being in middle school and high school and seeing people sit alone by themselves, afraid with no friends, nowhere to belong. Maybe the same for parents or grandparents, co-workers, people you see in the gym. It may not be as obvious as a kid that sits alone in a lunchroom, but there are people everywhere around us who have nowhere to belong, no faithful friend. Yet here we are, ready to share with them that the Lord's table awaits. The Lord extends his goodness and mercy to lonely sinners, saying, You're invited. Come, feast on the blood of the Lamb who was slain for you. Find friendship in Jesus, the one who was abandoned by his friends, put on a cross, shamed in front of those he came for. This Jesus will never leave you, will never forsake you. And I love this in John chapter 6 when Jesus approaches his disciples because they're running away from him and he's teaching them, you have, to eat my, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, these things are just, are they're too hard for me to understand. We're leaving. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, will you leave as well? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We get the privilege of inviting lonely souls to join us as special guests and friends of God at the Lord's table. We have good news to share if we'll only be spiritually aware. Back when I was just discerning this call into ministry, uh, I'd moved home with my parents and just trying to figure things out, just starting from ground zero, really. But I just said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. 
whatever it is. What, I, don't, I don't know what that looks like. And I, I said, if it's be a pastor, if it's whatever, I'll do it. So he answered my prayer. And uh, I remember getting home one day, and there was a, a, an Excel sheet that had been printed off with dates and times and highlighting. And my mom comes to me and says, Cole, I actually have a coworker at work whose husband's going through cancer treatments, and they need someone to take him just one time. Can you do it one time? I thought, stood there for a second and thought, I'll do it one time. He was an older gentleman. So I go to pick him up, and I'm on my way. I'm like 26 at this point, and I'm like, I don't know. I've never had a con- I don't. I've never had a conversation with someone. You know, over 70, for more than five minutes. I don't know what I'm doing. And so I walk in. I walk. I get into his driveway, pick him up, and we just start hitting it off and having great conversation. And eight hours later, we leave Vanderbilt Cancer Center. And I get home and I look at my mom and I said, "Sign me up for every week." And uh, for the next seven months, I took this man to the cancer center to receive treatment every Tuesday. I tried my best, very poorly, shared the gospel. I mean, just poorly, terrible. But I tried. You know, he was rejecting any kind of conversation I was trying, but I tried. We went to IHOP, and I would just say, Rondell, Jesus loves you and he cares about you. And he desires to be your friend. He desires for your sins to be forgiven. After that seven months, I had to leave because I was going to be a campus missionary at ETSU. And so we kind of said goodbye. And I, the ne- over the next two years, I kind of kept up with him over the phone. And I had realized that things were not turning out very well. And they were getting worse. The cancer had spread. And one day, I got a phone call from Rondell. And he said, Cole, I just wanted you to be the first person to know that I was baptized today at church because I believe Jesus Christ forgives my sins. I was like, that's the best news I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) And uh, two months later, I was at his funeral, and uh, I heard this preacher talking about how every Sunday, Rondell was showing up at church. He had been taking his dad to church. His dad had passed away, but he was still coming back to church. It's a little old Church of Christ by his house. And the preacher had been saying, Rondell, Jesus is waiting for you. Will you say yes to Jesus? I had no idea this guy was sharing the gospel with him. What's the point? God is working in the lives of those around us and doing things that we are unaware of. But if we can be spiritually aware to what God has put in front of us and be faithful, he will use us to do really cool and unexpected things in people's lives. So that's my hope and my charge to us that we will be aware, we'll be praying, we'll be asking God to work in the lives of those that we least expect to say yes to Jesus. And so let's tell all those who wander and are lost of the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. God, thank you so much, Lord, that we are actually products of the Great Commission. Somebody told us about you. Thank you so much, God, for inviting us to your table. Thank you for caring about us, for seeing us 
lost in our sins and yet saying, I'm going to become human and rescue them. Lord, I pray that you would make us aware in our minds and our hearts and burden us, Lord, for what burdens you. And Lord, give us the words and the, to speak and give us the ears to listen, to ask questions. And Lord, would you use us in mighty and unexpected ways? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.